0: Welcome to Ask Cadence, everybody. My name is Pete Wright. Thank you for joining us sitting around the round table again with Rod Sharman. Hello, Rod.
1: Good morning, Pete. Good
0: morning indeed, Jay Christensen.
2: Or, um, you don't even know anymore. Good day <laughs> to <you. Good> day. <laughs> uh
0: we are uh, we're continuing our discussion on 19 techniques for managing people who do not report to you. Uh, today we're going to talk about obstacles and how to how to remove them or at least Look like you're removing them? No, no. (laughs) No. Dare I say that, Jay? Illuminate the point for us.
2: Yes, and so far, uh, we haven't found any projects that didn't have any obstacles. Uh, There just doesn't seem to be those obstacle-free projects. In fact, um, one of the first things that shows up when a project starts is an obstacle. Uh, So people kind of get can get a little bit depressed right from the beginning because there are all these barriers that are popping up almost immediately when they start talking about the project. So we need to talk about some ways to remove these obstacles. And um, this is one of the key roles of the project manager, is to make a list of issues, which we've talked about, and make sure that someone is working the issue. Uh, through the process that was described earlier where we match issues to tasks on the responsibility matrix if there's no match then uh, assign a person to actually work the task issue and the thing of it is is that project managers um, like I like me will put off working on an obstacle and the dang thing gets bigger and more complex and more difficult to solve what we really want to do is recognize that obstacles are a part of project success. If we don't deal with them quickly, then they can get tougher to solve. So let's be really proactive in dealing with obstacles and finding people who have the authority uh, to help us address these problems in an effective sort
1: of a way. There is always a a very, there's a common uh, thing for everybody, I, I would suggest, is that we always get to that point in the project where the last thing we want to hear about is another problem or another obstacle. And one of the dangers we have, which is the natural one, is going into denial. So one of the things we've got to be very careful about is making sure we as a project manager don't start weakening or feeling uh, the effects of pressure too much uh, with all the problems that are coming up and choose to sort of ignore them and hope they'll go away because eventually they're, go- they're going to hurt you. Uh, we've both seen many projects that have been under execution seem to be go wonderfully well and then the eleventh hour all these problems start to come up. And the truth of it is they've been there all the time, people refuse to uh, acknowledge them or, or deal with them. So one of the things to watch for, and this is uh, uh, in a way is a recommendation for team members, um, is if in a meeting you're trying to bring in front of the project manager a major problem that has just occurred, and you start seeing the project manager responding with such things as "Oh, we'll talk about it later," "Why don't you do a write-up on it, and then we can take a look," um, "Send me an email," and refusing to really get into the discussion. It's a clear indication that the project manager is feeling the strain of the project and is in danger of going into denial. So how do you deal with that? One thought I have immediately is, if you haven't been able to get the attention of the project manager with the group, um, do it one-on-one. Try to gain uh, uh, um, some time. Avoid 5 o'clock on a Friday afternoon. Um, But when there seem to be in a better frame of mind, bring it up on a one-on-one basis. I don't know if you've got any other thoughts, Jay, on that scenario? Uh,
2: yes, I do. And uh, oh. a couple of things that um, I'd like to uh, suggest, and uh, that is is that uh, there are a uh, bag full of problems. And as Rod says, sometimes the number of problems can be overwhelming. So what's a good way to sift through this huge list? And one technique that seems to work really, really well is to use the problem-solving tool to determine the impact that the problem could have on cost, schedule, and performance if we don't get it addressed. This then enables the project manager to sort out the heavy hitters from the ones that can be uh, dealt with at some later point. And I don't mean to... Uh, sweep them under the table that's not what I'm talking about what I am talking about though is in a manageable sort of a way addressing the most important problems the most impactful problems first and then work on the other uh, problems uh, as time uh, allows within a reasonable time frame and that also means keeping a problem log so we know which problems are open Who's assigned to working the problem? What the priority or priority of the problem is? Whether it's closed and uh, uh, and this uh, problem log can be used to uh, as a management tool to see how well the team is responding to problem and is the team reacting? Are they recording problems or are they just a, uh, as Rod said denying that problems exist? Well,
0: it seems like if you go that route, and I'm, I'm- again I'm, I want to steer it back to this managing of people who don't explicitly report to you uh, if, if you go that route and focusing on direct impact to the project you get you're able to steer away from any discussion of fault like an yes. obstacle is the fault of somebody and they are responsible for it uh, and you deal more with the issue of, of you know how are we going to be accountable as a team to resolve it or you know how is the project manager going to to steer in that direction. Am I, am I right there?
2: In fact, one of the ways that you prevent going in the fault direction is, what is the impact on CSP? that, in many cases, depersonalizes it.
1: Yes, it's the depersonalizing. Try to avoid the use of the words I, we, you in your conversation. Keep talking about the impact on the project itself. As as Jay correctly says, um, in context of impacts to cost, schedule, and performance. The other thing you've got to watch for, excuse me, one of the other things you've got to watch for is where people are expressing just an opinion. Now an opinion, opinions are a basis for creative thinking, but you've got to use good judgment as to how much of the discussion is one opinion versus somebody else's opinion. So how do you neutralize that discussion? Well again using that technique of the gatekeeper approach, three to five minute rule, also then conclude that with, I've heard both of your opinions are very interesting. Um, let's readdress this later on when you've gathered some facts to support your opinion. Now, this is a behavior pattern that then says when we've got an issue, it's fact-based, not opinion-based. And often by people going away and trying to assess whether there's any any fact behind their opinion, It either removes their opinion or clarifies it. And once again, you are able to go back and depersonalize the issue. That's right. That's right. Now, the other one that comes up as a real challenge for for many project managers is when you're working on a project that is of reasonable size and spans across the organization in terms of different technical expertise, different technologies, etc. The project manager is not, in most cases, going to be able to make sound judgment on what solution could be because they're just not technically competent across everything. Now that's when you've got to start using the functional managers again. This is important that you use the functional managers to help bring resolution to, to the, uh, those issues and those problems that are being raised and look for their guidance as well. So you've got to use all the resources that are available to you.
2: And, uh, and to hone in, uh, Rod's absolutely right, that is sometimes teams can worry themselves into an escalating sense of disaster and they'll just uh, expand on each other's opinion to the point where they are so out of control that the project's in danger of spiraling uh, downward. Mm -hmm. So if we can get to the facts and help people understand, here is the facts that's supporting your concern or maybe the problem isn't as serious as you once thought based on the facts that we have available.
1: This is where one of the skills that is very critical for a project manager is, is listening. The listening skills. To be able to take the complex and make it simple. You may not know the technical solution, but you could play back, this is what I'm understanding, is, is that true? No, no, I didn't mean that, this is what I meant. Ah, okay, well then perhaps we should look in this direction. So what you, ha- as a project manager, you're trying to do is to facilitate the person's thinking processes. So it becomes logical and they see solution as opposed to you providing solution.
0: Gets back to that coaching mentality, the ability Mm -hmm. to help people see solutions on their own.
2: Excellent, excellent. And uh, sometimes, um, uh, depending upon the organization, rumors can be just terrifically um, numerous. When people start talking about Uh, their motion rather than the facts. So as a technique to deal with the rumor mills, the project manager can, if they don't have them already, gather facts that support what's actually happening to the project, and then uh, publish those facts to help address the proliferation of the rumor mill.
0: Excellent tips, uh, uh, Jens. Thank you for uh, this uh, this episode and continue our continuing discussion on nineteen techniques for managing people who do not report to you. On behalf of Rod Sharman and Jay Christensen, I'm Pete Wright. Thanks for listening. This has been Ask Katie.